good morning and welcome again to Words of Hope. I'm Mark Yoder and I'm grateful again to have these few minutes to share with you this morning. Early in my Christian life, someone told me that we have three main responsibilities of ministry and the first of which is to invite people to Jesus. A lot of um, people wish that God would show up himself in person or send them a personal email or handwriting on the wall, but that is not uh, normally the way this thing works, even though today I think it's amazing some of the things that are happening in our world and particularly in areas where people haven't had much opportunity to hear the story of Jesus. Um, it's amazing some of the stories we hear today of visions and dreams and revelations. And, but, uh, and so all over the world, some of that is happening. But in most cases, if you're going to hear the invitation of God and come to understand the message of the gospel and of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus— you, you do need to listen to that through people, <clears throat> people that have experienced that in their own life and can tell you a bit about that. I have spent a great deal of my life trying to figure out the best ways to, to share Jesus with people, to have them think, to have them consider that there's more to life than just this life. I often remind people that the mortality rate of the human race is 100%, so life is short, eternity is long. And if there is truth in this message of the gospel, you surely don't want to miss it. And I often tell people, if you miss Jesus, you miss everything. And if you find Jesus, you find everything. And Jesus himself shared a couple stories that kind of illustrate this besides the things that he taught. He says very clearly, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And I often tell people that that moment when you stand before the Lord to give an account and to know that your eternal destiny is at stake, you'd give anything and everything at that moment to know that you've made peace with God. Jesus does a number, gives us a number of stories just to, I think, really bring this home. Uh, one is found in Luke chapter 14. Jesus was sitting at a table eating with some people, and one of the people there said, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. In other words, he was saying, lucky's the person who makes heaven and gets to enjoy uh, the eternal favor and blessing of God. And Jesus told him a story. He said, there was a certain man uh, who gave, who prepared a great supper. Uh, we're not told what the supper was for, maybe for the wedding of a child or something. And he had told people there's going to be a great celebration, invited many guests. When the time came, when the meal was prepared, he sent his servants out to invite the guests to come. The re supper's ready, he said. And as the servants went to people, they had all kinds of excuses for not coming. One said, that he had bought a piece of property and he wanted to go see it. He couldn't come. And the other said he had bought five yoke of oxen and he wanted to try them out. He couldn't come. And another said, I've gotten married and I can't come. And, you know, even today, if you invite people to a party or invite guests and 
their no-shows or don't care. It's kind of hurtful. And in this story, it says the king was upset, and he sent his servants out. He said, go um, quickly to the streets and invite the poor and the crippled and the blind, the lame, ask them to come in. And so they went out, and sure enough, they um, had some come that way. But the servant goes back to the master, and he says, your table's still not full. And the king said, well, then go to the highways and byways and compel them to come in. I want my table full. And those that were originally invited are not going to make it. And I think of that story quite often. I I remember the first time I was in India, I was pretty naive about how things were. And we would drive for miles and miles, go through village after village. And we would see many people that looked like their lives were full of hopelessness. And they were many animists, Hindus, worshipers of many gods. And I would say to our hosts, "Do you, are there any Christians here? Is there anyone here that, is there a church here? And they would again, sometimes they would consult a bit and they would say, no, I don't think there's anyone here over and over again. And I was traumatized by this whole thing. And I suddenly realized, you know, God has so many people were being um, sent even now to the far reaches of the world. And all over the world, people are coming to Jesus. And many of us here in, in this country who have heard the news all of our life and are ignoring this amazing news of Jesus and his forgiveness are going to miss it. And yet I will say that I feel that's one of God's callings on my life right now is just to go again to the people of my community in this world and say, don't miss Jesus. Come. Many of you know in your heart that there's an emptiness. There is a disillusionment with life that's lived for yourself and without thinking about the eternal. And so today, again, the invitation is come to Jesus. I want to share another little story in a bit from Jesus and then some personal testimony back to my personal testimony. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice of the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, a savior, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. And we've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. Chainbreaker 
Jesus has been doing a lot of teaching through these chapters, teaching about many different things. It's in that context that he's talked about uh, the prodigal son and the lost sheep and talks about wealth and the emptiness of riches. But he comes to this story and he says there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and he lived in luxury and fineness and had everything he wanted. And at his gate, there was a beggar, Lazarus, who was uh, full of sores and great need and wanted and longed just to have some crumbs from the rich man's table. Now, it's interesting that even a casual look at this will show you that God's economy is very different than ours. In this story, the rich man's just a rich man. No name. He... um, is full of self-centeredness, certainly wealth, and I'm sure if you'd talk to him, he'd say he had a good life. And But in God's economy, because of this self-centeredness, he didn't even have a name. The Bible actually says that the memory of the wicked will be wiped out. But Lazarus, who was a poor man, and obviously a man of faith, is known by name. Sometimes I like to remind people who have much and have plenty to be careful that you don't put the value that the world puts on your life. In our, again, in our way of valuing things, often people with wealth have names and titles and doctor and and they're known for great accomplishments and we certainly know their names and the poor are often forgotten. But if you're a person of faith today, you shall never be forgotten. In this story, the Bible goes on to say that Lazarus, died and was carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. And then it says the rich man died and was buried. And he lifted up his eyes and when he was in hell and he was in great torment. Somehow he was able to look across and see Lazarus there in the bosom of Abraham, with Abraham there in heaven. And being used to having people serve him, at least that's the way it looks to me, he calls to Abraham and says, send Lazarus over here with some water to put on my tongue because I'm here and I'm in torment in this flame. And Abraham says to him that 
It's impossible. There's a great gulf fixed between you and us. Those that would come from there to here can't, and from here to there are unable. In fact, as I was thinking about this again, that there are Christians so full of love and so full of compassion, they'd even take the place of loved ones in hell if that was possible. But there's a tender moment here where the rich man then says to Abraham, he said, send Lazarus then back to my father's house. I have five brothers and tell them about this place so they don't come here. And Abraham says, they have the Moses and the prophets, the scriptures, and if they won't listen to that, neither will they listen, even if someone returns from the dead to tell them. And you know, that is true. Jesus returned from the dead. He's given us a clear picture of what he wants and what he expects, but people don't listen. They don't pay attention. In fact, as I'm talking here right now, I'm very much aware that most people, what Jesus said is true, that straight is a gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Wide is a gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. But I also know and believe with all my heart that some of you today are hungry. You are seekers. You are people that... Um, You've never really been able to enjoy living just for yourself and for pleasure. You, it seems that others are able to enjoy that, but you know you can't. I just I believe God's hand is on you today, and then the invitation is going out to you today that there is more to life, and I that that great hunger in your soul will truly be met in Jesus. the The second part that. I mentioned the first part is to make people make the name of Jesus known, invite people to Jesus. But the second responsibility is to have people grow up in Jesus. Some people have said to me, Mark, you have the gift of evangelism, and I don't know that I do. I love to talk to people about Jesus. But the real thing I love to see is people grow up and become mature in Christ, to walk as he would have us walk. I get so excited when people get a hold of the truths that set people free, free from the bondage of sin and the chains of the enemy, the addictions, those things. Um, but to me, it calls for great sadness when people don't grow up in Jesus. It's like a stillborn birth. It brings great sorrow in the physical realm, and a child that never really matures and grows up is a cause for sadness, a cause for disappointment. I have a granddaughter, had a granddaughter that had, was born with SMA, and we loved her passionately, and she made a big impact on her family for good, and I thank God for the experience. But there was sadness as she was unable to develop muscles and do the normal things that children do. And I, I tell people that we have Christians 20 years old and they're still in diapers. They're not even learning to do simple truths, simple things of, of um, conquering anger, or pornography, or addictions. And so we long for people to grow up. Last week I shared a bit of uh, my story of young Christian and feeling like I was, was I really saved and taken three steps backward for every step forward and a cousin who kind of helped me see that and even even by his honesty of admitting that he wasn't really living for the Lord and didn't want to and didn't expect to go to heaven what a 
what a challenge that was. And by the way, that cousin today has found amazing grace and is living that out in special ways. And Paul, if you're listening, thank you for being a good friend and being a big help in ways you'll never know on my spiritual journey. But I want to go back and share a couple of other things that um, I hope maybe some of you will relate to that have set out in your life to serve Jesus, and yet you've never really grown up. I believe that many times that happens is because the enemy keeps us blind to some very basic principles, things we need to understand to, to become mature in Christ. And so soon after I got a hold of the story of King David and how he was a man after God's own heart, in spite of the fact that he had some real failures, and I felt that there was hope for me. If there was hope for King David, there was hope for me. I could keep plodding on this journey, even if I struggled sometimes. Soon after that, I went to a seminar, and I learned some very valuable principles of the Christian life, that there was uh, there was cause and effect. And if we sowed to the flesh, we'll reap the pain of sowing to the flesh. But if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap a life of uh, blessing in those realms. And I learned some very important principles about having a clear conscience and making things right, about accepting who I was, that God had made me for a purpose. I often tell people I I was not born with a lot of brains. I resented that for a long time, how some people could uh, know what was in a book if they walked by it, and I had to work hard to get it. <laughs> but... Um, learned that I needed to be under authority. And one of the most important things during that time was I learned the importance of getting into God's Word, that there I could find life and I could find encouragement. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I remember as I was getting a hold of that and being taught about that, I was thinking, man, what an amazing blessing. What, wouldn't I love to prosper in all areas of my life? And so I began to think, how do you meditate? In those days, I thought that if I memorized scripture, I, that would be meditation. And so I started memorizing a, a chapter a week for a while, and I had some commitments that I would read my Bible every day and try to witness and share the gospel with people and so on. And I tell people I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the challenges of that. But what is interesting is I, I soon discovered that even even that does not make a mature Christian. I used to tell my children after I had experienced some of those things that uh, knowledge of the Scripture does not make you a mature Christian, but lack of knowledge of the Scripture will guarantee that you will be immature. Um, it's impossible to really grow up and be a, a mature person in Christ without knowing the Scripture. But what I found during that time is that I would be one day somewhat proud almost of my accomplishments, thinking I was better than others. But then in another time, I would just be so disappointed in my experience and so disappointed that I was still such a um, carnal Christian, one that 
still found it hard to love what I should love and hate what I should hate. It was frustrating to me. And during this season, I started to get a hold of a principle or a, a, a message in the scripture that says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And Ephesians that teaches we've been raised up and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I, at that time, was going to Philadelphia College of the Bible. And one day in the cafeteria, there were two guys there having this very heated argument. <clears throat> the one guy said, I'm not here in this cafeteria. I'm in heaven. And the other guy said, no, you're right here in this cafeteria. And he kind of punched him pretty hard in the chest. And there, the other guy said, well, you can say what you want to, but my Bible says I've been raised up and I've been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the other guy says, yeah, Jesus said that we shouldn't be taken out of this world, but be kept from the evil one while we're in it. So you're here. You can say what you want to. <laughs> well, anyway, I walked away from that conversation and realized that both those guys were right. And I realized that while I am in this world, spiritually, I've been raised up and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And if you're listening to me today as a Christian and you've been disappointed some in your journey, I want you to consider today that spiritually, when you come to Jesus, you're united with him. Spiritually, you are one with him. I To illustrate this sometimes, I'll take um, two half glasses of water and pour them together. And I say, be, before we put them together, here's my spirit, and this is the spirit of Christ. And then when we pour them in one cup, obviously they're joined completely. And then when we separate them, in half glasses and say, where is my spirit? Where is the spirit of Jesus? We realize that I am in Christ and he is in me. That's a powerful teaching. And when I began to get a hold of that, I got excited about it. But I would keep saying, how does this work? One um, uh, night, I was, as I, was, I would go to Philadelphia College of the Bible, I'd get on a a bus, a Greyhound bus in Harrington, Delaware, and ride up there. And usually I could go and take a nap. The bus wouldn't be very full. But on a particular night, I got on the bus and it was full. And I had to come and sit beside two different uh, people that I didn't know. They, I, I, I've said over the years they looked a little bit like Amish wannabes. They had straggly beards and plain clothing, but they were <laughs> full of the joy of the Lord. And I listened to them. I knew they were having a spiritual conversation. And finally, I leaned over to the one guy and said, you know, judging by the look on your face, you must be a Christian. And that was like saying Sigum to a dog. He just went a little crazy. He said, oh, yes, yes, by the grace of God, I'm a Christian. And I said to him, what's the secret of the Christian life? And he looked at me and he said, Jesus and I said, yes, I know. And I said, you know, I've been seeing lately that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. But how does that work? And he said, it's by faith. I said, I know, I know, but how? And he said, it's by faith, Mark. And he wouldn't let me move off the faith principle. In fact, one day, in fact, in this conversation, he made a statement that for me has been a very significant statement. He said, faith is trusting God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And there was something in that, that that was triggering for me. He said, you know, Mark, all that memorizing, praying, and reading your Bible, and, and witnessing, 
is what you do. But what God does is supernatural. He changes your life, and you need to just trust him. You can't try to negotiate. You just need to accept and receive that. And somehow that triggered a faith in me. I remember that night I got to my room there at the college, and I got on my knees and said, Lord, um, from now on, it's your work. I'm just going to trust you. I'll try to be faithful, but you do your work, and you this thing of bearing witness that I'm your child, I'm going to leave it up to you. And I went to bed. And I don't encourage people to copy anybody else's experience, but the next morning, without thinking about that prayer, I had this feeling of floating on air, and something really happened. As I'm about halfway through the day, I said, Oh, my, Jesus has answered my prayer. I was totally obnoxious after that for a while. I would, um, <laughs> I lost uh, a hearing with quite a few people because of how just overbearing I was and write long letters saying, Dearly Beloved, and things like that. But what I experienced in that time was was what I had longed for, the reality of Jesus in my life. And it's what I long for for everyone because I find that when people look at their experience and they're disappointed and they say, you know what, I've tried this and it just feels so mechanical. I go to church, but I don't feel like being there. I don't enjoy it. The preaching's boring and (laughs) the music is bad and whatever else they may say, I know that they've somehow failed to have the encounter with Jesus. And I'm not today pushing you to go out and have some kind of a weird experience. Um, But I'm inviting you today to just be honest with the Lord and say, I need more than just a head knowledge. I need more than just an intellectual knowledge. I need your presence in my life. I need to know that you're real in a way that transcends just logic and argument. I believe we need logic and argument. I believe we need to know that it makes sense to believe that Jesus is the risen Savior, that he's the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin and he died and rose again. But I want to invite you today to just take a step of faith, to believe that God is calling you, to believe that he has a purpose for you and that you can trust him. You can trust him with your life. There's no other place to go except to him. I'll be back with a few final comments here in a minute. These are the things that I need to pray Cause I can't find peace any other way I'm a mess underneath and I'm just too scared to show it Everything's not fine And I'm not okay But it's nice to know I can come this way
mention that there are three ministries, callings that we have. The first, to invite people to Jesus. The second, to encourage people to grow up who have come to Jesus. There's a third, and that is for people who started and quit to invite them back. And I direct these last thoughts to those of you today who once knew sweet fellowship with Jesus and once were part of his kingdom and following him. Uh, amount of time to say many things today, but I want to remind you that all that we said here applies to you as well. And that many, many times when people have tried something and it feels like it hasn't worked, they're the toughest ones to reach. But I believe that if you will search your heart today and study your life, you will find that the sweetest, most precious time of your life was when you did come to Jesus and you found that forgiveness and grace. And it's easy to want to go look for something else, to find a new thrill or to find maybe a new truth. But the Bible says that there is no other gospel than the one that we've preached to you. And so we invite those of you who have gotten away from following the Lord to come back and become involved, become people who are seekers every day. Not that you pretend that you're something you're not and not that we would act you have you act like you're better than you are or anyone else, but that you every day just say, you know what? I've set my heart to following Jesus. I'm embarrassed about the time I took off from doing that, but I'm aware today that life is short and eternity is long, and I'm returning to what I know is the truth. Uh, again, if any of you are on this journey, I welcome your comments and thoughts. You can reach me at m as in Mark, B as in boy, Yoder, Y-O-D-E-R, at gmail.com. See you again next week for Words of Hope.